Uh, I'm hoping to finish it by the end of the year. We'll see. But this, hopefully it has been for you. It's been a wonderful journey for me. Matthew, I think, has become my favorite gospel, if I can say something like that. Um, It's just so rich and, I think, just illuminating of who Jesus is, what he came to do, and how it fits into the into the eternal plan of God. So this morning, as we continue through the Passion Week, we're going to talk about revelation and reversal. Revelation and reversal. But before we do, let's pray together again. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the privilege to worship you with these brothers and sisters in Christ. And we believe, God, that you have something to say to us this morning. And so we say, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Say to us, Lord, what we need to hear. Lord, maybe it's something we don't want to hear. Lord, but something we need to hear. Lord, give us hearts, God, moldable and pliable, God, to you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. Um, have you ever, you don't have to raise your hand on this, but have you ever been somewhere and you see somebody there and you just think, who is that and what are they doing here? In other words, sometimes you're in a situation and somebody shows up and you, they just don't seem to fit. And you're just like... That, that's kind of weird. Or, or maybe you have shown up in a place. That's happened to me before. And you walk in the door and you're like, I'm not in the wrong, I'm in the wrong place. And everyone turns and looks at you and, and you can tell what they're thinking. Who is he and what is he doing here? You just, don't, you just don't seem to quite fit in a particular place, in a particular situation. Well, what's interesting about the Pharisees is that they, would, they saw people, this person over here, this person over here, and they would think about the plan of God, they would think about the kingdom of God, and they would look at this person and they would say, that person doesn't belong. They're not fit for the kingdom of God. And Jesus, Jesus comes and he's got something shocking to say about that. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning is to talk about revelation and reversal from Matthew chapter 21. If you have a Bible and you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 23. Verse 23. It says, when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority Are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. From where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he'll say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say, from man, we are afraid of the crowd. 
for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Word of God. You may be seated. So we're going to look at this passage under two headings this morning. Number one, rejecting revelation. Rejecting revelation. And number two, remarkable reversal. Remarkable reversal. First, we're going to talk about rejecting revelation. So this is the Passion Week. So the opposition to Jesus is going to be reaching a climax here pretty soon. Last time we talked about the cleansing of the temple and the cursing of the fig tree. And, and how those two events are, are deeply connected together such that you really have to have one, have, you really got to put them together to be able to understand what they mean. We said that Jesus was rendering God's verdict upon, upon the unbelieving Jews and when, as he cleansed the temple, right? It was an act of judgment. They had turned the place of worship for the nations into a marketplace full of greed, they had made it a den of robbers. And we said last time that that word's probably better translated rebels because these people were in rebellion against God. And far from their, uh, far from their outward appearance, okay, their, their, their outward religiosity, which might give the appearance okay, of submission to God, they really lived in rebellion against God. And we see that in the cursing of the fig tree, right? Because Jesus sees the fig tree and it's in leaf. Now, it wasn't the time for figs, but that's not the point. The fig tree gave this evidence of life, but it, was, it had no fruit. And so Jesus cursed it and it withered. And what is that? It's a parable of Israel. There was an appearance of life, but it bore no fruit. So it was cursed and judged by God. And that's what the... That's what the, 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 the a fig tree man. And throughout the remainder of the Holy Week, we're going to see Jesus' opposition intensify here. And these prophetic actions of Jesus put a dark, uh, give us a dark and looming signal about the impending judgment that is coming upon the nation of Israel for rejecting their own Messiah. Jesus, uh, in the... In Hebrews, it says in, very, in, in many times and in various ways, God spoke to us through his prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. In other words, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So in other words, there's no, there's no greater revelation than that God could have given the nation of Israel to show them to make, to, to make them believe in him and the true God than, 
than what he already did give them, his own son. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And yet they reject it. And in, in, our, in, our, uh, in this account today, Jesus is in the temple, so he's, he's cleansed out the temple. Uh, before, uh, before this, he, he's caused the ruckus, he's caused quite a stir. So the Jewish leaders come up to him, and probably representatives of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council of 70 elders that were the highest authority in the land. And he's teaching there, and they question him concerning the validity of his authority with which to do this. <laughs> you know, in other words, they're thinking, well, we're the Sanhedrin. You know, we, we have kind of validated each other. We're respected in Israel. But who are you to just show up and start doing these things and teaching these things and turn over tables? Who are you? Where do you get this authority from? Who do you think you are? And certainly they're referring to the cleansing of the temples, the miracles and his teaching and things like that. Who do you think you are? Now, this in and of itself isn't super remarkable because we would expect the Sanhedrin to be the one who would be concerned about false teachers. And they were kind of the guardians of the doctrine. And so it was their job, in a sense, right, to go and to evaluate anyone who would be uh, gathering a crowd or, 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 or gathering a following. Right. To see whether this person was true, was speaking the truth, was teaching the truth so that they wouldn't be leading people astray. That that was their responsibility. The problem with this is that is that the religious establishment in Jesus's day have already shown their incompetence to correctly identify genuine revelation from God. They had the responsibility to do so, but they have shown their inability to do so because they, they cannot see Jesus for who he is, which is why repeatedly over and over, Jesus will rebuke the religious leaders of his day by saying, have you not read? Is it not written? Moses testified about me. In other words, Jesus rebuked the religious leaders saying, if you really understood the scriptures you claim to believe, you would know who I am. But you don't know and you don't understand. They're unable to see Jesus for who he is because they don't want to know. So when questioned, by, when questioned about the nature of Jesus' authority... Uh, about, about his authority, Jesus responds in an incredibly wise way, as he's apt to do. He embodies the principle that he taught his followers, be wise as serpents and be innocent as doves. You know, when somebody comes up to you and says, who do you think you are? Well, the first thing you want to say is, well, who do you think you are? And next thing you know, it's just your word against mine. And it's just a confrontation, but that's not what Jesus did. They questioned his authority, and he just says, well, let me ask you a question. It's genius. And the, the question is absolutely brilliant because it puts them in a rock, between a rock and a hard place. Because if they answered his question honestly, they'll already have the answer to their other question about the validity of his authority. The question is about John's baptism. Was it from heaven or from man? 
Okay. Now, if you go back and look at John's ministry, John's baptism, he said, was a baptism of repentance. He proclaimed that there is one greater than him coming after him, the straps of whose sandals he's not worthy to untie. And so he was making straight, as the prophet said, the way of the Lord. He was preparing people through a baptism of repentance. If they received John's baptism, what they were saying is they were saying, I'm turning from my sins because I believe John when he says the kingdom of God is at hand. And I don't want the kingdom of God to come upon me and me not be ready. And so they listened to John's message and received the baptism of repentance. And, and if you go back and read it, uh, John and Jesus preached the exact same message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in addition to that, we know that John actually personally testified about the nature of, of Jesus. Right? Because he himself saw the dove descending, the spirit descending like a dove upon Jesus. And he himself heard the voice from heaven. This is my beloved son. With whom I'm well pleased. Which is why one day when Jesus is walking by the way, John can point to him and say, behold, the lamb of God. Who takes away the sin of the world. And so John vindicated and validated Jesus. But this puts, this kind of puts the religious leaders though in kind of a tight spot because Jesus is testing them. Where did John's baptism come from? If they said, if they said that it was from heaven, that would essentially be saying that John was a true prophet, Right? If they said it was from heaven, they would essentially be saying John was a true prophet. But if John was a true prophet and if John was right about Jesus, then Jesus could just say, why didn't you believe what he had to say about me? Okay, they would have to acknowledge who Jesus was and they would have the answer to their own question about the nature of Jesus's authority. But if they said that John's baptism was from man, well, they'd be in a, they'd be in a tight spot. Why? Because all the crowd around them believed that John was a true prophet. And remember, all this is taking place publicly. Okay? And so, in other words, here's the thing about the, 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 the religious leaders. They didn't believe in John, obviously. They didn't believe that John was right about Jesus. They didn't believe that John was a true prophet from God. They didn't approve of John's message. They didn't, they didn't appreciate a scraggly, wild man wearing camel's hair clothes and a leather belt eating locusts and honey. They didn't approve of a man like that looking them in the face and calling them a brood of vipers. They didn't appreciate that. They didn't like it. But they refused to answer the question honestly. They knew how they felt about John, but they refused to answer it honestly. Why? Cowardice. Cowardice. They were afraid of the crowd. They were afraid of the crowd. So all they could say was, we don't know where John's baptism was from. They were too afraid to say what they really believed. So they didn't answer the question. 
And I just want to make a comment here about fear of the crowd. They didn't answer because they were too cowardly to state publicly what they really believed privately. And I just want to say that every believer deep in his heart, we need to come to terms and nurture and and kindle and add fuel to this fire within our hearts to be ready to say publicly what we believe privately, even when it's going to cost us. And not be afraid of the crowd. And if you haven't thought about that, you need to start thinking about it really hard. I'm guessing most of you have seen this picture before, but I just I want you to see it again. Can you put that picture up, Wayne? Can you see that? You see that guy in the circle? You know what that is? 1936. Before World War II. Adolf Hitler. Almost worshipped by the German people. What is this right here? It's worship. Except for one man. One man. Now, let me tell you, let me ask you a question and be honest. If you were standing in that crowd... Knowing what it would cost you if the Gestapo saw you refusing to give the, the sign when everyone else is. What, would you be that man? What is that? That Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refusing to bow down to the golden statue. If you don't think about today and, and, and ask God to put some steel in your spine today, then when that time comes, you won't be ready. When that time comes for you to say publicly what you believe privately, knowing it's going to cost you, if you don't prepare now, you're not going to be ready. Their refusal to answer Jesus' questions grounds Jesus' refusal to answer theirs. You see, their, their unwillingness to answer Jesus' question honestly shows that they already know the answer. And they refuse to believe it. You see, think about everything that Jesus has done to this point. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. Many of these people have seen Jesus work a miracle with their own two eyes, and they still didn't believe him. You know, lots of people today say, well, if I just saw a miracle, I would believe. Really? There's lots of people who saw an undeniable miracle and still didn't believe. You see, these people, they they believed that they already had Jesus figured out, that they knew who he was. A a, a false teacher, someone who's leading the people astray. 
And so because they had already decided who he was, there was no amount of evidence at that point that could change their minds because they already knew. They thought. They'll never, they could never know the truth because they didn't want to know the truth. And the prerequisite to knowing the truth is a willingness to believe it when you hear it. And since they had rejected the revelation God had already given, you know, Jesus refused to answer the question. We could say, why? And I could just say, well, if they, had, if they refused to reject the revelation already given them, why should, why should he give them any more? Jesus said, to whoever has, more will be given, but to him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That's why it's so dangerous to reject the revelation of God. And perhaps somebody this morning, the Lord is granting fresh light in your heart. Receive it. Receive it. Don't harden your heart against it. Receive it. Let it have its warming, exposing, illuminating effects in your life. By what authority did Jesus do all these things? Well, we know. By all authority in heaven and on earth that has been given to him by the Father. In John 10, Jesus speaks about his authority. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So whether they believed it or not, Jesus, in fact, has all the authority he could ever need, could ever want. The question is, will we embrace that, embrace him, or or will we reject revelation? So number one, rejecting revelation. Number two, Remarkable reversal. Remarkable reversal. We see this in verse 28 and following. Jesus immediately follows up this with a story, okay, to kind of, to kind of push the point a little harder with the religious leaders. He says, what do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your mind and believe him. So Jesus is now pressing them to understand their situation in light of this parable. Okay, and in this parable, okay, a man has two sons. And he goes and tells the first son to go work in the vineyard today. Now that's not, that's not an unusual request in those days. Okay, son, go to work. <laughs> All right? If you have sons, you should probably say, hey, go to work. <laughs> All right? Go to work. And it was in that day, of course, 
in that day especially, you know, sons were expected to be part of the family business. All right, and that was the expectation. And the first son remarkably said, he says very flatly, he says, I won't. And I mean, if you just think about it, you know, in Jesus' day especially, and probably, you know, a few decades ago here in America, to hear a son speak to their father that way, they'd be like, oh, you don't talk to daddy like that. I won't. I won't go. You can imagine a small gasp in the audience when Jesus is telling this story. A son did not talk to their parents in that way. In fact, in ancient Israel, cursing one's parents was a capital crime. They could legally drag you out of the city and stone you to death. Which is why uh, the fifth commandment, the, the first commandment that deals with our relationship to one another after the first commandments that deal with our relationship to God, the very first commandment that deals with our relationships to one another is honor your father and your mother. And in fact, in some cases, because it's, it's 10, it's 5 and 5, some would divide it up and actually put the fifth commandment with the, uh, with the, um, with the first four, so showing the significance of that commandment. That God designed parental authority as one of the most fundamental structures in society. And the first, the first sign that a society is going to go belly up is when children don't respect their parents. And remarkably, amazingly, what's interesting about this story and the, the main point that Jesus is, is saying is, is the son who flatly refused to obey his father. Change his mind. He changed his mind. The KJV says repent, repented, because that's what the word means. Repent means to change your mind. That's literally what it means. Change your mind. When, when a person repents, what are you doing? When a person obeys John the Baptist, obeys Jesus, when they said repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, what are you doing? You're changing your mind. You're changing your mind saying I know what's best for me. I know what's going to ultimately make me happy, and I'm going to do it. You change your mind, and you say, you know what? Maybe God knows better than I do. You change your mind, and you say, you know what? I've been wrong, but now I'm going to turn to the Lord and make it right. You change your mind. Why is it so hard for people to change their minds? pride because changing your mind means what it means you were wrong that's what makes it so hard but don't miss the beauty of this passage the son said no but he changed his mind and he went The beauty of this passage is what? The beauty of this passage is it's never too late to change your mind. It's never too late to change your mind. Even if you have flat out told God no for decades, you could very well this morning say, no, I'm changing my mind. 
I'm going to go work for my father. It's not too late. It's not too late to change your mind. And that's exactly what this son did. And that's exactly the point of this story. But what about the other son? The father goes to the second son and asks him to go to the the vineyard as well. And this son responds in the completely opposite manner. Uh, ESV says, I uh, uh, um, uh, I missed it. Uh, ESV says, um, I go, sir. I go, sir. But it's literally, Greek is literally, I, Lord. (laughs) I, Lord. Because in in Greek, the, the word for Lord is the same as master, is the same as, could be, could be translated sir as just a, just a title of respect. Okay? But it says, I, Lord. So he's saying that he's going to go, right? He, he's, 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 giving, he's giving his father a respectful address. In other words, what's he doing? He's, he's acting the right ways, in a sense. He's saying the right things. He's giving all the appearance of someone who respects the father until it gets down to actual obedience. And then he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. He says the right thing in the right way, but he refuses to actually do what his father asked him to do. So what is Jesus then saying about the chief priests and the elders? He says, which of these sons did the will of his father? And even they aren't so blind to, to not see that. He's like, the, the first. The first did the will of the father. Okay? And what, what, is Jesus, what does Jesus tell them? He's saying, yes, you're right. You got it right. And guess what? You're the second son. You're the second son. Because the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. You know, we said, sometimes you're somewhere and somebody just seems out of place. Well, that's what they were saying. You know, these tax collectors and these prostitutes, what are they doing here? They have no place in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, no. No, it's not what you think. Because when they heard John, they changed their minds. But you did it. You see, the tax collectors and the prostitutes would be viewed as the absolute least likely people to enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is saying, they go, he says, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. And by the way, in case it's not obvious, that's just a roundabout way of saying they go into the kingdom of heaven instead of you. Instead of you. Those who thought they were shoe-ins for the kingdom actually aren't going to get in at all. Because, Jesus said, that John the Baptist came and the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed in him. And they were the ones, so the tax collectors and the prostitutes were who? They were the ones who at first said, I won't. I won't. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to extort money from people so I can make myself rich. Right? I'm going to violate God's. Uh, I'm going to violate God's sexual ethic. But they heard John, and something happened in their hearts, and they changed their minds. 
And guess what? Because they changed their minds, what did God do? He opened the door and said, come on in. You see, it's not about what you've done in the past. It's about, are you going to change your mind today? That's the grace of God. But see, the religious leaders, okay, they gave lip service to God. They looked respectful and faithful. But in reality, their submission to the Father wasn't even skin deep. They had no real intention of serving God, just themselves. And this is a common theme throughout the gospel, but it's just always important to remind ourselves, lest we, lest we fall into Pharisaism, which is very easy to do. It's always important to remember that hell will be full of religious people. There will be people who never missed a Sunday, never missed a Wednesday in hell. I mean, think about this. You know, sometimes we, sometimes we jab at people, you know, who say they're Christian but only show up to church at weddings and funerals. And I've, I've, I've got things to say about that. But what's interesting about this is that the Pharisees and the religious leaders weren't even those people. If they were alive today, they would be the people at the church every time the doors are open. They would be, they would be the people who, who uh, go, through the, go through the pastors, read the Bible through a year plan. They would be the one taking furious notes during the sermon. They weren't a little religious. They were a lot of religious Big Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong Easter offerings. But their heart was hard as stone, full of pride, greed, lust, self-centeredness. You see, we rightly grade against that first son because of his disrespect to his father, right? It's not right. He shouldn't have said that. But at the same time, you can't help but respect it a little bit because at least he really said what he believed, right? You, you got to respect that a little bit. At least that first son, at least that first son really told, the, wasn't hiding himself, wasn't being a hypocrite, really told the dad how he felt about it. And I ain't going. I ain't going. But he changed his mind. That, my friends, is actually far better, far better than a person who says, oh, yeah, I'm going. Oh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a Christian. I love God. But then walks away and has no intention for obedience. And Jesus goes on to say this. You see, he goes on to say, even when the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed in him, they, he said they still didn't believe. You see what Jesus is saying there? He's saying, even if you weren't so sure about John, when you saw the tax collectors, the prostitutes, these, these people you just think are such great sinners, when you saw them hear that message and be changed by it, you should have known then. 
that John was from God. And that's a beautiful thing. And maybe some of you are in this room right now because you knew somebody who was radically changed by the power of God. And that helped you to see that it was true. But see, even they, when they saw it, still did not believe. One of the most powerful witnesses to the truth of the gospel is a changed life. Is a changed life. But they didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. And so today, we're talking about rejecting revelation and remarkable reversal. Just like every other sermon I preach, just like every, just about every passage in the Bible, there's good news and there's bad news. The bad news is you can say all you want about your relationship with God if you have no intention on obedience. It's worthless. The good news is that it doesn't matter how long you've said no to God. It's never too late to change your mind. In fact, maybe, we, maybe we've been guilty of this Pharisaism. And you say, I've been one of those. I've been one of those looking down my nose at people. Today I'm changing my mind about God. If you change your mind, all you got to do is change your mind. And the door's wide open. So maybe that's somebody in here today. The door is open for you if you come to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning.